every time I start to think about it, I get uh, depressed and then stop. Today we're going to talk to Lior Steinberg. Lior Steinberg. Lior Steinberg. Lior, how would you describe your passion? So my true uh, passion is to see places, uh, see what's wrong with them, and trying to imagine better future. In theory, the project you seem to have taken on, it seems like it is almost unachievable. I, I agree. So I, I'm doing all this effort, and meanwhile, more highways are being built. Yeah. <laughs> more roads are being constructed. More cars are being sold. How does that make you feel? Do you think there's something we as a community could still do that could save climate change? Or is it even already too late? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm really afraid of it. <laughs> Leo, hey. first of all, thank you very much for inviting me into your home. Uh, I truly appreciate that. Thanks for, for doing all the way from Friesland <laughs> to... <laughs> To Rotterdam. Yeah. Um, I like to start all my podcasts with the exact same question because I feel like it sets the tone for the rest of the conversation. And that question is, are you happy? Uh, I, I guess yes, I am, pretty much. What, in your opinion, is required to live a happy life? Uh, I think that there should be um, a synergy or... Uh, an equal idea between what you want to do in life and what you actually do. Okay. So if you believe you need to be something very important and you aren't, you're probably going to be miserable. Right. Or if you're doing a work that uh, you got stuck to do, but you have another dream, you're also probably going to be pretty miserable. So I try to at least um, uh, yeah, turn my life the way... I want it to be, which of course is not easy, but no. I try. Yeah. Well, that is a good uh, start to my follow-up question, which is what makes you happy? Um, so for me, I, 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 what makes me happy, or at least what makes me, gives me pleasure, is being in a state that is not stressful. So being able to just do the things I want without being uh, stressed or scared or, um, or annoyed. Yeah. So that's what makes me happy. And of course, being with friends, family, which is a cliche, but it's also research. It's important. That exactly. those things yeah. uh, make you happy. So being with people who love you and that you love them and uh, try to do it as, um, as much as you can makes me happy. And of course, my work, which I'm privileged to have a work that also makes me happy. So doing uh, works that makes other people's life better, which is turning cities into nicer places. This makes me happy, which, which, yep. is, which is funny that I found a work that also makes me happy. Well, that's a beautiful transition to my next question. <laughs> I, all, I know all your questions. Uh, oh, advanced, you're doing so a good job I'm, so I'm, far. I'm, I'm trying to read them out. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe your passion? So my true uh, passion is to see places, uh, see what's wrong with them, and trying to imagine better future. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's really terrible to walk with me in another city when I go to travel with friends or family okay. because all I talk about is the shape of the street, or the traffic, <laughs> yeah. um, the angle um, benches are situated. 
yeah. the height of sidewalks. I mean, it's terrible to walk with me. Yeah. But this is truly what I, I, I can talk all day long on, on how streets are designed, how public spaces are designed, uh, how uh, buildings are situated. And uh, it is truly my passion to try to understand why some places are cool and what some places are yeah. not working well. And I, I, I truly can do it every day uh, for years. And how, would, how did that passion start? Uh, I think that uh, for a lot of at least uh, white men, <laughs> urbanists, yeah. it starts with uh, sitting in traffic and thinking that you can solve it. Okay. So you sit in a traffic jam. Yeah. I don't know how much you have of those in... Uh, in Friesland, not in Friesland, so much. Not but, so much. Uh, but on the highway, right? But exactly. Or like my travel down today, I planned in an extra half an hour. Yeah on top of the travel time already. So, yeah, yeah. I've experienced it. And, and I think that most people who sit in traffic, um, they think, ah, there must be a solution. Yeah. This is ridiculous, especially if every day you do it. Yeah. Think, ah, why don't we build another lane? Or why don't we build right. uh, an extra level of yeah. road above this road? Yeah. Or a tunnel, another tunnel. So this is what got me attracted in, in urbanism, just trying to think what makes... Um, what makes traffic become so bad. Yeah. Of course, very quickly I discovered that it is not technological solutions that are going to solve traffic. Um, I very quickly read, I mean, articles from the 50s and 60s that uh, show that if you build more roads, it will create more traffic. And if you, okay. um, yeah, we'll build more parking, it will just make the parking problem worse because more people will buy cars and yeah. they will more people will park right and i started to discovering that actually the best way to um, make better traffic is to reduce traffic which means that we need to build cities where everything is around you yeah and th this truly got me into urbanism uh, trying to understand wow why, why do we keep building the cities the wrong way because those are the places that we live in yeah um, so it, it, so st it started a little bit as a trying to find a solution, which of course I don't have, mm -hmm. and understanding that the problem is somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how would you describe what an urban planner is to someone who doesn't really know? Is it then optimizing specific spaces for human enactment or... Um, so it, when I say that I'm an urban planner, uh, most people, I think, don't know. In the Netherlands, it is more common profession. Because yeah. it has more history of, uh, of planning cities because it's, it's such a dense country that everybody needs to live together. But in other countries, it, it, it is not such a popular profession. <laughs> you can see it if you travel. Yeah. Uh, so I try to explain and normally I say it's something between engineering, architecture, and sociology, okay. which I'm not sure is the best description, but then people understand, oh, it's social and yeah. technical. Uh, but for me, it is uh, someone uh, who is doing <coughs> something um, very um, impossible, basically. You try to urban plan or you try to plan urban places, and urban places are full with people and every people have their own plans for their life and you are trying to plan this all. So I think that the first thing that urban plan planners need to realize is that they cannot plan or mm -hmm. at least not perfectly plan, yeah. but they can create certain plans for certain elements in the city and hopefully 
deliver them. Uh, yeah. So it's either optimize bus transit or uh, making sure that the neighborhoods have enough schools. You can be a planner that is really busy with education opportunities, uh, making sure that uh, you provide enough services to, to the population. You can uh, focus on demography, understanding why certain people live in those neighborhoods and others. Housing, gar- uh, playgrounds, parks, um, public transportation, active mobility. It can be so many topics. And of course, there are people who, who touch on all those topics. For instance, if you plan a new neighborhood, you need to touch all those topics and work with many professions. And some people are very much deep into one topic. So you can have urban planners and designers that really focus on bike infrastructure. Yeah. And they just design that element of the street. So what... What do you then focus on or what do you enjoy focusing on? Maybe I should say. Yeah, uh, I, I enjoy mostly uh, active mobility and, and great public spaces. So this, this is what interests me. And this means? Yeah, it is more about uh, looking at, um, uh, at squares or uh, streets and, and trying to reimagine their potential. Um, okay. So for instance, the street that you just parked on uh, outside my house it, it it looks like most streets around the world it has two buildings on the sides then sidewalk parking road parking sidewalk yeah but so this is the standard way we design streets yeah uh, but there, there are many other ways we can design streets right we can have a small square in the middle of the street we can design it in a, in, in 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 another way that will make cars drive slower or will make the street feel like children are playing there make it more visible, or uh, we can uh, redesign a square to invite more people to play, meet, uh, sport, yeah. uh, purchase things, uh, consume food. Um, so this is what makes me happy or makes me, yeah, I enjoy doing is take going to a, 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 yeah, a square that is empty yeah. or even a road that is for cars and try to find out if it's possible to turn it into a place where a lot of people can just walk, sit, meet each other. Yeah. It sounds then like it's actually quite a creative job. Would you classify yourself as a creative person? Did you always have that or did that come with the years? Yeah, I actually always found myself as very analytical and more nerdy or geeky uh, person. I I was a computer programmer for, for six years. And I, I, I thought about maybe studying architecture, but I, then I thought, yeah, I cannot even draw uh, or, <laughs> or sketch. So I, I gave up on it. And uh, only later, I ended up doing projects that have to do something with design that I realized that actually you don't need to sketch in order to be uh, creative. You can yeah. also do it with computers. You can write code that is creative. You can uh, find creative uh, solutions with finding out how to use limited resources for a nice design. Um, You can also have a very analytical approach for creativity. So I might not have the most aesthetic, I would say, um, approach. I'm not not an artist or or a painter, but I have more uh, analytical way to look at how 
how we can redesign places. So I would say it's creative because you need to create something. Yeah. And in that it sounds sense, like you pick the, 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 both of those and manage to fuse it together quite nicely. Yeah, right? that's, I think that's, that's also a really a shame that I, I was, again, it's kind of privilege or that I could be a computer programmer and then I could take my time and study urban planning. It, it is a privilege. Not yeah. Most people cannot. They find a good job and they just stick to that. Yeah. And uh, I think that it, it would be nice if it was a possibility. And of course, I know how our society works. It's not possible, but that people would be able, if they study computer science, they will also be able to study a little bit of social science. Yeah. And uh, those who study architecture will be also learn how to code. Yeah. Right, a little bit of programming or yeah. data analysis. Right. And I think this is something that, luckily, the way my life uh, went, I, I had the chance to do both. But um, uh, if you look at how now uh, people study at university, they don't, they don't get to do it, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So it sounds like at some point you thought you were on this path, computer science yeah. then, and then something happened that made you switch. Yeah. What was that thing that made you think, nah, computer science isn't it? I'm going to do this. Yeah, for me it was just that I realized that I cannot sit behind the computer all day right. long. Yeah. Of course now I sit behind the computer all day <laughs> long. So it's <laughs> but, but that's it's fun. <laughs> yeah, but it's a fun on a fun topic. But no, I, I actually yeah, that's what I decided that I don't want to do it anymore and uh and I want to actually learn another profession. And was there a specific thing that happened or did you just think nah? Never mind. Uh, no, I, I, I was a computer programmer yeah, uh, exactly. for, for the Israeli army. So okay. we started, I, I, that was my army service. It's, it's a mandatory service in Israel. And then uh, I, I stayed for a few years doing it later uh, after my mandatory service. And then when I finished uh, the contract, yeah. I was, wow, I don't want to continue doing it. Also in those big companies or startups. And I'm really, really excited about urbanism. I already, by that time, discovered, wow, this is a real topic. You can study urban planning. It's something I never knew. Yeah. When I was 22, I didn't know urban planning exists. But I was already, wow, this is a topic. There are great thinkers. You can learn it at university. So I just, I was, okay, I'm going to stop with urbanism and with the programming. I can always come back. That was, that was my plan. I will never end up being, a, you know, a waiter like my friends mm-hmm. after you know after university or during your studies you need to be a waiter to or a bartender and there is nothing wrong with that actually it might be even fun but i was like okay in the worst case i will fail i will just be a computer programmer again yeah you had something to fall yeah, back yeah i have on. fall back so yeah. that was very very easy decision because i said i can always take a gig yeah. build a website yeah. uh, program so I'm just going to try. I'm going to do my uh, master's in urbanism, yeah. in urban planning. And if it will fail, uh, I will go back. But in recent years, I started again to code. So Okay. Um, Still making use of the skills you exactly. learned back then. Yeah. So I suddenly, I mean, you need to learn new languages, new, new computer languages and uh, programming languages. So, um, and you need to learn new... Um, new new technologies but at the end of the day uh programming is like a, it's 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 there are different languages but it's just one thing and if you know one language you can learn others so it's right. a way of thinking it's algorithmic yeah. way of thinking it's a procedural way of thinking i'm even doing it like when i'm bored 
Right. At night, on Friday night. <laughs> Instead of going some out. Some people watch Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> I'm programming, but yeah. uh, it just it's, sometimes it's nice. It's like solving a uh, solving yeah. A, yeah, a quiz or something. Very cool. Yeah. So you're originally from Tel Aviv. You already mentioned you're yeah. born in Israel. Yeah. What drew you to the Netherlands? Actually, it was a mistake. So I, oh. I, I, <laughs> good, not a coincidence, I would say. I was just, I, I did my... I left uh, Tel Aviv. It was also I, I just wanted to go somewhere else after after the, the army service, and uh, you know you don't have mu- well maybe now if I think about it maybe you do have choice, but basically you don't have much choice. It's mandatory. You have to join the army. So after the army, I thought I will just go one year. Yeah. Abroad, enjoy, um, take a break, and start like start studying. And I, and I, I moved to Berlin and then to Stockholm to do my master's. And I really wanted to focus on cycling. And I thought I have to go to, to the Netherlands and uh, to do an exchange in the Netherlands. Uh, you know, students. Cy- by cycling, you mean the urban po- planning part of cycling? Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, yeah. True, because I didn't know how to cycle, of course. But yeah. I really wanted to learn how to right. design cities for cycling. Yeah. And of course, you can learn it from books. But if you live in a city in the Netherlands, you really learn how it is done. And I think most Dutch people don't realize how amazing it is because it's so normal. Uh, so I, yeah, the, the University of Stockholm had only several options in the Netherlands of exchange, and one of them was Groningen. And I googled this weird name, <laughs> and, yeah. and I saw a film about it, and apparently it's a very cycling-friendly place. Yeah. So I just moved there, and great then student I felt city as well. Great student city, a lot of. Young people, it's like one of the youngest cities in the Netherlands yeah. and uh, a lot of yeah, nice bars and um, just cafes and nice place to live at. It's uh, a university town and uh, then I kind of fell in love with the Netherlands, with cycling. I really, It really, really made me happy that I never needed to use cars or, yeah. or, or even public transportation unless I need to go to, to another city. Right. I just bought a bicycle and I was fine. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. And immediately I started making pictures of cycling in the Netherlands, starting to spread the word. Uh, of course, I'm not the first one who discovered that Dutch people cycle, but <laughs> no. <laughs> trying to document it in a way that might give lessons to others, other planners around the world. And, and, and I, I never wanted to leave. So yeah. Did you know at that time that you would start your own company in urban planning? No, that was also a, a, co- a coincidence. coincidence because I never actually had a plan to be a freelancer or, or start a company. It's just that I, I started looking for a job and it was very clear that if you don't speak Dutch and back then I, I could not speak a word in Dutch, uh, you cannot work for a city. Because municipalities, they want people to speak yeah. the yeah. local language. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but I, I could do a small project with them as a freelancer. So I, I was a fr- I, I just started freelancing and I always told myself, okay, if it won't work, I will tr- find a job in programming. Yeah. But then I got another project and another project. And then I started Humankind. We, we you know, co-founded it with, with my partner there. Um, and then, yeah, it, start, it just became more and more projects. So it, it, it was actually, if I, if I think about it, it, we never planned, or I never planned to have a company, or uh, it was just let's do it until 
I don't have projects. And what it yeah. turns out, we have. And you still have projects. <laughs> we still have projects. So <laughs> then you need how to long does it exist now? Ten years, right? Or so? no, so, um, from two thousand, um, I would say seventeen. So oh, only okay. so five and a half years. Still five years on. That's yeah. Not yeah, and then you have enough projects, you need to hire someone. Yeah, exactly. And then you need to hire another person. Yeah. It's, so, it's a small company, but it's... Uh, it's working. It's working. How would you describe the mission of humankind? Um, I don't need to describe it because it's written on the website, so I can just quote it. It's, uh, we are trying to make cities human and kind for ourselves, others, and the planet. And it's a very, very vague statement. Um, but basically, all projects we do, we try to just make better cities. Either better public spaces or better programming or better um, plans or better bureaucracy, whatever it may be, whatever we manage to, to find that cities want to work with us and we find interesting, um, that's what we do. And we are multidisciplinary Truly. So I don't think anyone in our office has the same profession as someone else. Okay, uh, yeah. We, everyone has a different background. Yeah. I'm the only urban planner, I think, or maybe there is one more. Uh, but then more from the, um, some people are more from the design side, from mm-hmm. social side. Uh, so we're truly multidisciplinary. Yeah. And that's why our projects are also attacking this challenge from different angles yeah so what is then the biggest challenge you're currently facing within not just humankind but also urban planning uh the biggest challenge is that we used our uh, latest uh five decades i said the post-war good years of economic growth we uh we as in planners decision makers but society as a whole uh, used the best years of <laughs> the post-war years to rebuild cities mm-hmm. and we did it in a completely wrong way. So we uh, basically built cities completely around car movement. Mm-hmm. So instead of uh, building cities to serve us and to maybe use cars to help us move from A to B, uh, if we need it, because we cannot walk, or we cannot cycle, or we cannot use the bus or public transit, we completely re- change the way we build cities, that it will be easier for us to move with cars. Uh, so, for instance, in the Netherlands, it's not s- so extreme, but in most uh, post-war cities, and also Rotterdam, which is a post-war city, you would separate functions. You would put work and and leisure in the city center and you will put housing outside of the city center so everybody will need to use a car to come to the city and yep. go back and we made it very easy so a lot of people bought cars yeah and of course in the 70s and 80s there was economic boom and everybody could buy a car or at least the, the middle class and we are now doing the same mistakes in um countries that were poorer and now are experiencing this growth. And of course, China, for instance, or India, uh, or the Philippines, where the amount of people buying cars is growing because uh, the economic situation is is improving yep. and car is being seen as a status symbol. So this is the where we are. We have cities that are built completely around cars. 
and it is not a mobility problem. It creates other problems like empty streets, uh, pollution, um, I mean, climate change. A lot of our, our, our contribution to climate change is because of mobility. Um, accidents. Um, waste of space because we are building neighbors that function only as living places or studying places or workspaces. So we are spread, spreading and spreading and spreading our cities around. And you can see it in, in America with giant cities that are just spreading and spreading, but with not so many people living in those places. Yep. And now we need to fix it. But there is not no easy way to fix it because we spent five decades or six decades doing it. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's it is a huge challenge, and it's a challenge that we come across on every uh, every place I go to, every city I speak with. It is always yeah, we want to change because we know it's not sustainable. To also economically, we cannot just keep growing like that. We need to go more compact and and more sustainable mobility wise. But we don't know where to start. And if we start to do something, residents are angry. So we're stuck in uh, something we built for 50 years and we don't know how to start attacking it. Yeah. So just to summarize, though, (laughs) uh, the biggest challenge almost in all of this is actually getting the people to become excited for potential improvements, but they just don't see it that way. Yeah, and I don't know if you can get people excited for something they don't see. So maybe you need to, I, I don't know what you need to do. In that. We try yeah. it from, from every angle. Maybe you need to force it. Maybe yeah. you need to to let people try out something else yeah. and see if it works. Or maybe you, you, yeah, you need to listen to the people and then you cannot do anything. And of course, I, I don't want to paint it black and white. There are a no, lot of people of that see and a lot of people that actually living in places not like the Netherlands and still commit to use the bicycles, although it's a dangerous thing. Uh, so there are a lot of people already. I mean, it's not that only some urban planners yeah. want to change the world, uh, but it is very difficult because yeah, politicians are many times afraid. People don't like change, yeah. especially people with cars tend to be on... Uh, the let's say more well off because you could afford something that is quite expensive, which means you have more access to media, lawyers, politicians, and it's sort of a vicious circle. And it's very difficult to break. You need really, really, really strong leaders to break it. Yeah, uh, really strong politicians with a vision and a long-term view. And you have it in some places. The mayor of Paris. Um, yeah, and previous politicians in the Netherlands, uh, the Groningen government in the 70s did it. I mean, you can make a change. You can change from... It's possible. It's yeah, possible, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you yeah. really need strong politicians. Yeah. Uh, Do you feel like the current system in the Netherlands at least doesn't really... Uh, or maybe not even in the Netherlands, don't need to um, make everything the same, but in general, worldwide, it for a lot, it's become like... a it's nice if we have the money, but it's not essential and therefore it becomes put on the back shelf or? Uh, I think that it, I think that the new generation of decision makers, at least that I work with, or maybe there are places who don't even work to work, want to work with someone like me because they know what I believe in. But I think a lot of decision makers, they know 
how to go on. I mean, you cannot ignore it anymore. I mean, most people know that, I mean, there is no way to build a nice, uh, pleasant, economically active city with just building more and more roads. I think most young, new generation planners, but they just don't know how to do it. And I also don't know how to do it. Yeah. I don't know how to solve this problem except of making great plans and having great leaders to perform them. Yeah. Um, so I think that a lot of times they just, okay, there are so many other things that we can focus on that people agree on. For instance, making better schools. Everybody agrees on it. It's not such a... Like design-wise of the schools or educating no, people better? I, I guess a mayor, he has now all those challenges mm -hmm. and... You might say, okay, yeah, bike is really important, but it requires me to remove parking from all streets in my city. Yeah. And it's impossible to remove parking because people would... Well, it's not impossible. It's just a lot of people won't like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for, I think politicians, it is yeah. voted every five years. Yeah. You don't want to make such a decision, especially that the entire city is built around cars mm -hmm. and just building two bike lanes will not solve anything. It's a process. Yeah. So doing the first step is very, very difficult. And if you don't have a long-term vision, you will not do it. So you say, okay, let's focus on uh, maybe better schools. Let's focus on nicer parks. Let's focus on... Uh, there are so many other challenges. And the mobility challenge is so complicated. Mm. Uh, and I guess also the school challenge is very complicated. But I'm just saying, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of projects that are very beautiful. There are nice plans, but then they never happen because it's too complicated to even start. Yeah. There is not enough budget. We can right. let's just wait for for another uh, option to do it. So to what extent do you think these sort of societal questions should be voted on given we're in a democracy and all and as it is part of everyone's decision if the majority agrees against it don't you think then that our politicians should Yeah. Uh, I agree that we need to vote uh, and yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a democratic person so I, I, I think the democracy is a good method but if we do it then we, we need people at least to have the, the facts right so uh, and we need to ask everybody so many times for instance with the street you would want to remove parking then you would have few car owners that would be against it and by that a mayor might say okay people in my city are against it i don't want to do it so let's let's just leave that street with yeah. parking uh, but then did you ask everyone also the people without the cars or they didn't even know this but yeah. they just take it for granted that there are cars on the street so they never even try to remove the cars we've now tried for 40 years to have the street with cars maybe we can try for one year to have it without cars yeah and see what people well, prefer. It's interesting that you mentioned it. With, you probably even saw it. We are currently, or we, <laughs> in Leowater, they're also doing a test with Bosk. And it's like thousand trees that they put in, or I think even more actually, but in the center of Leowater. And these trees can be moved yeah. throughout. And it essentially gives us experience as if you have a walking forest throughout yeah. your city. And at first, when I heard about it, I also had these same assumptions like, oh, I think a lot of people aren't going to like that or or, um, you know, the fact that certain roads will be just closed off and they won't be able to go around there. But from the few people that I have spoken to about, and that did at least differ between young and old, 
most people seem to enjoy it, especially when walking through this forest, having all these trees around you, such an experience. And they have to, you know, they get forced to get used to it. Like, yeah, yeah you can complain about the fact that the road is closed or you can just move on with your life. Like, by the, you'll, you'll complain in the morning, but by the end of the night, you'll have forgotten about it again. Absolutely. And I think that I, I've seen in our projects many cases where you try something. Yeah. At least try it before. I mean, when you're just talking about the plan, of course you're afraid because you're not used to things the way they are. But if you just let people try experience, I mean, people, even if they would say, no, just keep it the way it is, I don't want to change. At the end of the day, we are quite simple creatures. We like quiet, green um, places because we are simple animals. Yeah. We're attracted to yeah. green in quiet places. I can promise you that if I will now suggest to remove a playground and put a parking spot there, there will be a lot of angry parents and children who will yeah. not agree with it. Yeah. Uh, yet, when public space, green space is being removed and turned into parking, there are hardly citizen participation or voting. Uh, it's always just being decided because that's a normal thing to do. You build new building, you build new parking. But yeah. we don't vote for that. So I'm in favor for voting, but then ask everybody and ask the right question. Okay. <laughs> well, we are stuck in the status quo. Eh? So we are doing the things the same way. And if we want to change, we need to ask everybody. Yeah. We never stop and ask, are we even doing the right thing? Yeah. And of course, it's very difficult to stop and ask. But uh, if we talk about uh, democracy, that's true democracy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Well, um, okay, I have some more questions on this, but I'm going to come back to it yeah. later. Um, you make active use of social media in order to inform not only what is happening in urban planning, but also what humankind is doing and your opinion on certain things. What are the benefits and downsides to using social media to profile yourself in this way? Uh, so the benefit, I will start because I think they are very big. I, yeah, I got to know you through social media. You got to know me and uh, we are sitting here now. And I've been in many, many cities around the world because of social media, because people found me and asked me to come and either work there or speak or give a presentation uh, or did a workshop. Uh, so that's the positive thing. I find work through social media. I meet really great people. Every time I travel to a new city, I just drop on on social media that I'm there and I meet great urbanists. Yeah. And we walk around the city and talk about benches. So those are the only people who can actually handle me <laughs> walking on the street. <laughs> and uh, so that's the good part. Uh, and the bad part, I mean, there are a lot of things written on the bad parts of social media. So I would say um, it's a waste. Of, well, you spend a lot of time on it. And it creates a certain echo chamber. So you basically kind of always say the same. And everybody around you say, agree with you. Agree okay. with you. Um, so on social media, you don't get to have too many discussions with pro-car people. If you're a pro-cyclist, you will just end up surrounding yourself with followers. and Because of the algorithm, right? Yeah, gonna, yeah, you will get notified by only those people who care about the same thing you like. Uh, you will also get the algorithm will show you more angry things because, uh, as we said before, people are more uh, 
when they're against something, they act like with removing cars. So yeah. social media is full of people angry about plans, angry about, uh, uh, for instance, in the, my social media, I see a lot of people angry about cars, angry right. about new plans for the city, angry about uh, designs. Uh, so it's a lot of negativity. So the way I solve it is that actually I have to say that I hardly on social media. So I'm very, very passive. I just post things because I think it's a very useful tool and um, I try not to read comments or actually scroll on social media. Okay. Being passive. Mm -hmm. And I do it using like tools. Is that because the people that then are annoyed at least and take the time to respond that they're always in such extremes. Like let's say you would have someone who was indeed pro car, but could at least communicate their frustrations or thoughts in a normal way. Would you then be more willing to have the conversation? Uh, actually, I'm uh, actually, if someone uh, responds to my post and I end up seeing it as a comment, I, I wouldn't mind to, even if they're very angry, I wouldn't mind to try to have a discussion, but I promised myself never an argument on right. social media. So I try to have a discussion, sometimes it works. Uh, so that's the first thing, uh, but uh, also because all my followers agree with me. So I don't have followers who don't agree with me. So I just get people's support and it's really nice, but it's not, uh, yeah, I don't need to read so many people agree with me and when I'm on social media and I just scroll the people I follow yeah. I end up seeing people that share the same thing that I do so it's not do you miss the part where of people because everyone agrees with you on the one hand that's nice but it also doesn't necessarily stimulate growth all the time yeah exactly that's why I'm not there so I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm trying not to read I'm not using I'm trying not to use it as a, as a reader and how do you compensate yeah so um, I think, yeah, I, I do uh, read uh, sort of right-wing okay. neoliberal kind of newspapers sometimes to try to, to kind of, I would say... Understand the understand other side. Understand the other side. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very... Yeah, it's interesting sometimes to, to do so. I'm reading American newspapers yeah. sometimes uh, or... Uh, opinion pieces that are uh, yeah anti bicycle for instance or uh, pro car or um, yeah less social uh, but I also have to say that <laughs> I agree with you that it, it limits growth and it limits uh, maybe becoming uh, yeah coming up with new idea new arguments but on the other end I feel that we don't really have time for the okay I, I really 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 don't have time to argue with someone whether a car the car, like, um, whether <laughs> self-driving electric car is the future of our cities. There are a lot of people that believe that this is the future of our cities. They follow Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. um, I cannot convince them. They, are, they don't believe, they don't agree with me. They have a different way to look at the world. And I believe that we can make a lot of change if we just invest our energy in working where people do agree with me. And maybe... In, in a few decades, we can start <laughs> fixing that other cities and other streets that don't agree with me. But now there are so many city leaders and uh, planners that want to change their city and they don't know how. And we can invest the time there and not yeah. by convincing uh, no, exactly. Elon Musk. That, <laughs> that, yeah. Okay, yeah. 
as someone who isn't, so this is coming back from what we were already talking about a little, as someone who isn't in urban planning, I imagine the process to be quite hard, bureaucratic and tedious in order to get things done, right? It's a lengthy process of needing a lot of what you mentioned already, governmental support in order to make change. How do you experience this? Yeah, I, I hate it. I have no patience. So, um, yeah, I don't like. <laughs> yeah, I don't like waiting, especially yeah. that I know that sometimes solutions are very quickly. So I hate it. Uh, yeah, sorry. No, uh, I was gonna ask as a follow-up question. Do you think uh, I wouldn't know in what construct that would be to be honest? But do you think these kind of things should be privatized? I think there is a problem with privatization of urban planning processes because they need, they cannot take into account only market, um, yeah, market needs. So, for instance, you cannot privatize the electricity infrastructure, right? Because you don't want 10 companies trying to build their own infrastructure for electricity. No. Yeah, no, I think how I imagine the construct in my head is, let's say the government knows what spaces they have for urban planning for yeah. a year. And instead of them deciding on what they want and how they want the budget spent and all that, that they say, here's a company such as Humankind who has experience and knows what they're talking about. Yeah, but then they, they might be able to do it, but then they, if they will not put a lot of... Um, guidelines when they do it mm -hmm. then a company like humankind we can take it to their own direction so we can decide okay we are going to design only a place for uh, people called Lior Steinberg <laughs> they, they, they get yeah, free yeah. houses and yeah. all the rest need to pay yeah so you have a lot of privatization especially in the um uh implementation part so you already make the decision and then you privatize the implementation Or like the example of the um, the power, the, the electricity infrastructure, the government realized we are very good in building the electricity infrastructure, but we're not good in customer ma uh, customer management. So a lot of companies will be able to do the customer uh, um, yeah, contracts and the creation of electricity as well, but not the actually infrastructure because we need only one company who does it and not... Or one yeah. Gov yeah, main governmental company. So I think there is place for the private market, but for decision making, we need to do it. I believe in, in through the government. But I have to say, I'm not a, I'm not a political uh, scientist. So uh, it's no, very interesting. Enough. It's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, exercise, uh, thinking exercise to think. Could that work? Yeah. 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 Hard to believe. In theory, the project you seem to have taken on, you know, to improve urban planning, I guess, largely to fight the climate problem, right? Or that's one of the main factors, yeah. at least behind it. It seems like it is almost unachievable. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree. I mean, I'm doing, uh, for instance, I, I remember a few years ago, we did a project in Rotterdam, uh, trying to close off a street for a few months for cars. And... Uh, implementing a bicycle infrastructure and have nicer public space, like greener, quieter. And it took us half a year to just implement an, an experiment, like you mentioned before, with, with just an experiment uh, with trees, etc. 
And by the time we, we did that, I remember it was, it was such an art process. And I calculated it. Meanwhile, just in the Netherlands, they built tens of kilometers of highways. Yeah. So I, I'm doing all this effort. And meanwhile, more highways are being built. Yeah. <laughs> more roads are being constructed. More cars are being sold. Um, giant companies are spending a lot of money reinventing the car as electric and green quote unquote although yeah I, we know it's still not going to be completely green before it's using human power yeah <laughs> uh, so actually yeah it's it's unachievable i actually hardly think about it so okay. only when i'm because i was about to ask how does that make you feel no i hardly think about it i just try to do nice projects that make you know if i make a, a nice playground and I see children play there, I'm happy. It, make, it truly makes me happy. I see children playing in a nice playground. Before that, it was a parking lot. Now it's a playground. Or before that, it was a boring playground. And now it's a nice playground. This makes me happy. I'm not in a position. And I also don't have the, the wish to... Myself, yeah? I'm not talking for the entire of the company. or But myself, I don't have the wish to change uh, the entire world. I don't think it's it's possible for me. Fair. Do you think there's something we as a community could still more actively do daily that could save climate change, or is it even already too late? Yeah. So I'm 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 not a political scientist. Mm. Also not a climate scientist. <laughs> yeah. um, so I don't know. I'm really afraid of it. Every time I start to think about it, I get uh, depressed and uh, stop. Uh, yeah. Because it's it's really scary. As, I mean, we are now having a really dry summer in the Netherlands, which is not normal. Uh, I've never experienced summer like this here in eight years uh, that I live here. Maybe you remember something. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, I, I also don't even remember last time we had a winter. Uh, yeah, real winter. Uh, yeah, maybe seven years ago. I think ago. it was a very long time ago at least, but... Yeah, so... Yeah, will we ever be able to ice skate in Friesland? I don't know. Maybe not not any not anymore. So if I think about it that yeah, that's depressing. I think that we did prove with corona that we can change very quickly. Yeah. We get used to everything and we can invent great technologies and policies that can shift society to different directions. Mm. We proved it. So yeah, what each one can do or like listeners can do or uh, just professionals that uh, I think, yeah, I don't have a solution. It's a very good question. I don't yeah. have a solution. No worries, no worries. Uh, okay. You see, I start thinking about climate change. And <laughs> I didn't mean to make it uh, depressed. Let's, let's turn it back to the other side then. Yeah. Um, so obviously if that is the situation... What keeps you going? Is it is it the success in the projects and seeing yeah. these kids and you're like, okay, next one and yeah, small for me and again, it's 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 truly personal because I know that some people have these long term ideas. Mm -hmm. This this is also very nice, but for me, it's short feedback loops. Yeah, short projects, even if it's a very long project of years that I, I, I've been working on those projects also now. Yeah. Um, short feedback loops within the project so you can always create i mean even if you work on 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 a very long construction of a neighborhood you can still deliver small interventions in the meanwhile or even small presentations or 
web, building a website for the project, it's also a nice small mm -hmm. project that you can have along the way. So for me, it's always those short feedback loops, seeing the feedback of the client or, or of the end user. And um, Do you also take the time to celebrate those moments? Uh, not enough, so uh, that's a good idea. I need to write <laughs> it down and uh, <laughs> write yeah. it down. Because, I mean, that's a common trait, right? That we get too caught up in and the next thing. And then you yeah. achieve something and the next big thing. And the views and the stats and the Absolutely. CPAs and of the world. It's hard to forget that. Struggle with it myself as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, and, and the thing is that you, when you say it, like you said to me, I agree with you, but then it's very easy to forget, right? Tomorrow we'll forget Of course, we'll of course yeah. So maybe that should be our 2023 goal. goal. <laughs> Celebrate success. I think that would be a nice goal, at least. Absolutely. You already spoke a little bit about, obviously, that you work for the Israeli army. Would you then also say that you have, that you had a quarter-life crisis? Because obviously the podcast is called The Quarter-Life Crisis. Um, yeah, because I changed my, uh, I guess I changed my profession. I, um, I was like in one path and I thought, oh, this is not nice anymore. I want mm -hmm. to, to go to another direction. So it didn't feel like a crisis. Mm. Uh, it's just a quarter life change. Change. Yeah. Uh, I hope 25 is quarter life because I hope I will make it <laughs> 100. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, that's I, the assumption for now. <laughs> <laughs> or 120 and then 30 mm -hmm. is the quarter life. But um, but again, I, I mentioned it in the beginning of our conversation, is that for me it wasn't a crisis in a way that um, it was difficult. I had very kind of life circumstances that make it very easy, as I mentioned. I just could take it a chance... It's not that I had a family and children and economic stress that I could not really do it. I just, I was young. Yeah. Um, um, I didn't have economic problems and I could just try it. Yeah. To, one of the main reasons why I started this is because similarly to you, I'm now done with my master. Yeah. And actually for me, more so than ever, I'm faced with the overwhelming question of what now? Yeah. Is it really an office job for the rest of my life, always working for a boss? So these things help me tailor it down a bit. But what I also realize is that I'm just interested in a ton of stuff. Yeah. For example, I find this urban planning very interesting. I'm not sure I would go into it, but I find it interesting. Or baking, farming, business in general, content creation. Do you have any advice for anybody who's trying to figure out what path is right what makes most sense for me to follow um i'm going to give an advice that i wish i will i also follow i, I but i think that uh for me i think it's a bit ridiculous to think that all our passions should become our work or that we need to find a perfect work that is our perfect passion so if you have all those passions which sound actually really awesome farming baking, but also urbanism and, uh, and computers and marketing. Choose one or two that you can combine. For instance, marketing far farmers in Friesland. This can be a cool combination. And for the rest, why not just make it a hobby? Why everything should become a work? 
if we like baking, sometimes it's even nicer to just bake every week to our friends and not turn it into a business. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like making hummus. It's definitely not good enough to open a hummus <laughs> restaurant. So yeah. why, of course, I could sit all day long and, and think about plans to open a restaurant and try to to do it and hire stuff and get into depth and get bad reviews or I can just invite my friends once a month for a, a plate of hummus and yeah. uh, try to enjoy it. So I think it's also something for our generation that we we really think that we need to live all our dreams and definitely make them work because that's the only way that work will be meaningful. But maybe if we are lucky, it's fine to find just one work that is quite nice and related mm-hmm. to our passion and for the rest just do it on our free time I mean yeah right I mean yeah I think that's solid advice um, the the struggle that I would still see then is probably still deciding okay which of these two am I going to fuse and which indeed will remain the hobby but well maybe take the ones that you like more and keep them hobby yeah <laughs> because then you will not hate them it will stay fun <laughs> fair yeah and, and the other ones that you can see yourself doing for many years mm-hmm. uh, can become work. Yeah. So finally, what does the future hold for Lior? Yeah, I don't. I mean, uh, maybe you, after your uh, journey, can come back with some uh, with some uh, <laughs> advice for me. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I want to uh, double down and uh, you know, you know, make do more work on urbanism, and sometimes I just want to uh, quit and uh, keep. Uh, uh, write another children's book and uh, um, yeah just uh, I don't know another children's book you already wrote one yeah so I, ah, I, you, we missed that part yeah we missed yeah a year ago I wrote I wrote, I wrote a book about uh, that's that's a very horrible plug it's not it's not a commercial I just no no don't worry about it's it it's not an ad uh, no so I, <laughs> not sponsored I wrote a, not sponsored and I make no money from this book but uh uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's called the car that wanted to be a bike. It's a children's book about a car cool. that wants to be a bike. Uh, so, uh, so for instance, this, this is just a fun project that you can definitely not live from unless you sell it to Netflix or Disney <laughs> as a character, yeah. which will not happen. No. Um, so maybe maybe the future is to sit in a cafe in the city, look around, and write a book about it. Um, I hope I will win the lottery so I can do it. Uh, that would be nice that would be nice (laughs) meanwhile I just actually what I do now is I could not ask for more it's just doing nice projects with nice people yeah that have good sense of humor what do you need more I think that summarizes it beautifully I want to thank you again for inviting me into your home and your time today thank you very much and with that uh, thanks thanks a lot